The Pure Jamie Milne Podcast. Where we have a dream to create a community full of happy, healthy, and knowledgeable people who create global positive change through sharing their journey. Tune in, saddle up, and listen in. Be inspired. Good morning, friends. How are you? Welcome to the Pure Jamie Milne Podcast. Proudly brought to you by Mizuno Australia, my choice of footwear for all of my running adventures. I hope you've been well and I thank you for joining me on this episode. Episode number 41, The Locus of Control, and this is episode two. Now we're taking a deep dive on the psychological controllables of the elephant trail race my experience with the 200 kilometer uh, elephant trail race in port macquarie and we're going to be taking as i said a very deep dive on the world of being comfortable being uncomfortable now again i thank you for taking time out of your day to have a listen and i really really hope you get some insights and some resources that you could arm yourself with for your next uh, endurance-based adventure. And without further ado, I'd like to bring your attention to a documentary. It's a 10-year documentary that I'm part of. Now, it's called Wairua Spirit, uh, and this is made with the film company Shot Imagery. We have made three, sorry, two episodes. Our first episode was during the Hurt 100 in 2019 in Oahu, uh, Hawaii. And uh, most recently, episode number three was the Elephant Trail Race in Port Macquarie. Now, this documentary is documenting and creating a 10-year artifact of the the world's 10 most grueling ultramarathons, handpicked by myself and film director Nick Andrews. Uh, and in this, in, in our documentary, we are capturing um, basically pain tolerance and mental toughness and essentially the invisible, intangible drivers of the human experience. So if we think about motivating factors, both intrinsically and extrinsically, meaning internal and external, we've got things like, you know, music, we've got grief, we've got anger, we've got um like um uh, body image things there's all sorts of things that drive a human being and, and when and when those tangible things run out what then drives a human being to continue on in the absolute face of adversity and that's essentially what we are capturing uh in this documentary and this has been supported and collaborated with by Dr. Kendall George and some of her team at the University of the Sunshine Coast. And there's been a couple of case studies done already um, on our 10-year journey. So I would highly encourage you to click on the links with uh, one of the case studies. I've provided a link in the blog and in the show notes. And then we've also got, uh, obviously, Wider a Spirit. I highly recommend watching that, part three is coming out very soon. Part one is about an hour long. Uh, and if you're any fan of the endurance sports and the suffering that goes along with it, I, uh, I really encourage you to sink your teeth into that. 
So let's go back into, let's dive into what was the psychological preparation or the controllables um, for this event and my views on it. So I've, I've had a very strong view for some time now that the longer an event goes, the more it becomes fueled by your psychological um, capacity, capabilities, your resources, your tools, your frame of reference, your experience, and all of those things. And the reason why I believe that is because the shorter the event, whilst there's obviously a psychological aspect, there is, in my opinion, a greater demand on the physicalities, the physiology of an event. So if you think about your local park run, Yes, it's going to take some thought process and some psychological preparation if you are racing, but essentially it's over very quick. So the energy systems that we use and the, the, the fuel behind the race is essentially powered primarily by your physiology, which is your physical capabilities. Now, the longer an event goes, it's almost like the needle shifts from the physical all the way over to the psychological until it is pretty much all psychological. Um, and certainly the elephant trail race was was enormously psychological. And you speak to any person that's been through um, specialised military selection courses or special ops selection courses, and then some of the tier one and elite military groups, I will tell you that majority of the selection courses are psychologically driven and we'd also i would make i would make the assumption that if you think that everybody that turns up to these um elitist events or even in the military and things like that and even at a high high level of sporting um yeah, high, high level of sporting competition, you would assume that everybody has the physical capability. So when people tow the line, you would think, okay, you would like to assume that they have done the work. And if everybody that is there has done the work physically, I would be, I would boldly state that the nuance between who does really well and who doesn't is those that have done the psychological work because the the higher the stakes or the longer the event the greater the demand on your psychological capabilities further to that the longer the event goes the more it highlights the chinks in your armor so i use an example in the blog that you know if you've got a bad achilles tendon or a bad knee or a bad shoulders or um, this is going to get amplified. So the longer the event goes, the more that is going to get amplified, whether that's via inflammation or whether that's via um, the persistent pain and overuse of that particular area. But it, it certainly gets amplified. And for me, my weak link, the chink in my armour, the the gap in my defence, I believe, was actually ironically my my mental state uh having been diagnosed with bipolar disorder many many years ago 
after living the, leaving the military, it's always sat in the back of my mind like a little reminder, like that little devil on my shoulder, you know, that reminds me if I'm feeling dark or gloomy or in a low mood and not my best self, it's kind of like, hey, just, just to remind you, Jamie, you've got a fucking issue. And so I'm like, oh, fuck, that's right. Fuck. And then when I'll be running, that would weigh heavy on me sometimes and amplify my my negative thoughts, my negative beliefs, the the conversations I have in my head. And so I need I knew I needed to arm myself and and be very prepared for what was going to be my greatest challenge to date. And so with that being with that being said, I uh, I enlisted the support and guidance from mental performance coach David Neath, who is from New Zealand. He's been around for quite some time and is responsible for the development of many, many, many elite athletes at uh, professional level, Olympic and Commonwealth level, and all of those in between. And to drop some names very subtly and very swiftly, you've got Israel Adesanya, you've got Kai France, the MMA UFC fighters, um, Lydia Ko, one of the best female golfers in the world, you've got the New Zealand Breakers, um, and it goes on and on and on and on and on. And so I thought, why muck around? Let's get the best of the best on board. And David certainly supported me and guided me with a framework that, you know, to me left no stone unturned. Now, some of the things, um, and I will go through. Um, we were establishing that no matter what you do, you're going to get some quitting dialogue. So there's going to be. And anybody that's done any ultra marathon or anything like that or anything uh, in the endurance world knows that your mind kicks in to protect you and to keep you alive. So your conscious awareness begins to really, the tone of your mind becomes loud. Like it, it, it will start coming up with all sorts of reasons as to why you should pull the pin. Um, everything from... You know, oh, you're just so tired. You haven't drank enough. You didn't get much sleep last night. That's why you're running really shit or this. Or, or even if you are quite experienced, you'll have reoccurring um, common themes, reoccurring statements that will be encouraging you to quit. So we came up with, uh, tr we troubleshooted and we problem solved the quitting dialogue. So to come up with basically, if I think X, then I'm going to do Y and things like that. So plugging the holes before they happen so you're prepared. I honed in on my rationale for finishing, like why was this so important and becoming very clear on the driver behind this. So why was the elephant trail race? Why is it so important that I complete this? And so I was very clear on the rationale for finishing. I spent a lot of time working on creating a strong self sense of self-belief and working on my self-worth, self-image and self-belief. And I, I utilized the structure and the philosophy of Frederick Nietzsche. And he has a philosophy called the Ubermensch. 
And the Übermensch is basically German for the Superman or the Overman. Um, the Übermensch is made up of many, many parts. Uh, the ones that stood out for me is it was basically like stoicism on steroids. So if you've read the Daily Stoic or any Marcus Aurelius's meditations or uh, Epictetus or um, Seneca, Socrates, like a lot of those Stoics, um, the Ubermensch is Stoicism on steroids. So it's becoming the very best version of yourself, both psychologically physically with your values with your principles and frederick nietzsche if you if you google him and do a little bit of study on this philosopher he was famous for the statement god is dead and we killed him and basically as as man evolved we developed our own belief in self and circled back to being very centered around our own beliefs, our own principles, and not needing to follow a God of any description. That's my understanding anyway, so I became fucking obsessed on the Ubermensch. Uh, we looked at modeling behavior. I'm, I, I'm not the greatest fan of David Goggins. Um, Although I do admire, of course, his athleticism and his journey. And it's not because, I, I mean, I obviously don't know the guy. Uh, I just found him to be very, very full and could only sort of take his videos and podcasts in small doses. And, but yeah, it goes without saying, incredible athlete and incredible journey. Um but what I did find, and I did come to my own realisation, is I, I firmly believed David to have a distortion and to walk around constantly going, yeah, fuck yeah, fucking stay hard, stay hard, get it, motherfucker, and all this type of jazz would be fucking exhausting. And so I figured, I don't think he actually walks around like that all the time. I think it was more a distortion. Was it ego-driven? I'm not sure. But going around and displaying that language and behaviour, which I personally don't have anything against, I mean, that sells books and that sells David Goggins, the brand. So if you think to yourself, if he walked around, you know, being all airy-fairy and super fucking casual and really laid back and not be this, you know, Navy SEAL militant badass, he wouldn't sell books and he certainly wouldn't sell them the way he does at the moment. Obviously, that's my opinion, um, but I think myself and everyone else considered, we perceive David Goggins to be superhuman and that fucking sells. Uh, I focused, and you can take this one with a grain of salt, but I, I focused on showing no vulnerability and no weakness. We live in a world where that is encouraged, and I think, great, I, I support that, and it, and, it, and it urges us to lower our, our walls, our, you know, our restraints, um, it allows us to be courageous, to be brave and to share things we wouldn't normally share. But I think in the arena and the elephant trail race was my arena to show weakness and to show vulnerability 
was a dumb idea because where your attention goes, your energy flows and what you focus on becomes your everything. So there was no complaints. There was no exposing weakness or vulnerability. Now that could, that was a double edged sword for me. That, um, I didn't mention anything about my uh, fall at the start of the event and hurting my knee. I kept it to myself and to the point that I my I tore my meniscus. So <laughs> maybe if I had mentioned it at the start, who knows? But essentially, I think there's a lot of value in that, and and I I would encourage those that are stepping into the arena to consider that. You can cry in the shower afterwards. Uh, no one will see your tears in the shower. But uh, essentially, yeah, take the fucking gloves off and get into it. Uh, empowerment, so empowering others. So the other runners that I went down there with, um, David Mansfield, you know, Kerry Ashcroft, Lisa Wan, you know, empowering them and enabling them to turn up as their very best self. And I did my best to do this over the months leading up to the event so the more you empower others that in turn empowers you as well so that was that was awesome congruency or being congruent or in alignment you know ensuring that my behavior my language my choices my decisions how i respond to, to things were all in alignment with um, the best outcome at the elephant trail race so not doing anything that would disturb my psychological balance. So, you know, staying away from really bad food. I don't drink. I've been sober for a few years now, a couple of years now. Um, obviously, no drugs and things like that. So nothing to distort my psychological balance um, so I could maintain congruence. Divide and conquer was another thing we looked at, like the Roman army the uh, theory. So when we talk about the Roman army theory, if you think to the movie Spartans 300 um, that was out a while ago with Gerard Butler, it's a good example. I'm not going to try and recite history, but I get the gist of it. Maybe it was the Persian army. There was like thousands and thousands and thousands of them, and the Spartans were only 300. So essentially 300 warriors taking on thousands of warriors is a really dumb idea. So what they did was they broke down their situation into these little battles. So they picked these little battles by, you know, chunking it essentially. And so by fighting all these little battles and doing really well, they could then in turn win the war, the greater, the greater event. So the elephant trail race, to me, I psychologically broke it down like the Roman army theory. I just picked these little battles so I could do my best to win the overall war. So when you tackle your event, that could be something to consider. How do I break, break this down into, into these little battles so I could win the war? And that, yeah, that's kind of like putting one foot in front of the other. You know, keep, keep moving, literally breaking it down to tree to tree or up to this little rise, then walk a little bit, then down to that little creek and then walk a little bit. Um, things like that. So breaking it down, even using um, songs, you know, I'm going to run one song, I'm going to walk one song, but as long as you're moving forward. Probably the most liberating thing psychologically for me was knowing that I no longer, I had arrived at this part of my process, uh, which actually made the DNF easier to stomach. It was easier to palate. 
knowing that I was liberated because I now was comfortable that I didn't have to prove anything to myself anymore. I've done, I've attempted and completed more world records than I can point a stick at. I've done over 50 ultra marathons in excess of 160Ks, run numerous countries, been in the military for seven and a half years, was a competitive amateur boxer. I finally got to a part in the process where I was like, you know what? I'm pretty fucking good. And I certainly don't need to prove anything to anybody else anymore. And I certainly don't need to prove to myself that I am physically talented. And so that was, was, gave me an immense sense of freedom. So that was pretty awesome. Um, reframing was another thing, which is a nice psychological tool. So reframing the pain, you know, the pain's coming and the law of polarity states that you know, you can't have a problem without a solution. You can't have black without white. You can't have yin without yang. You know, fucking yin doesn't just hang out with itself. It needs yang. So you need some balance. And on the other side of pain is new life. So pain will lead to pleasure. You know, suffering breeds salvation. I could go on and on and on. So knowing that when I was in pain, knowing that the pain there was going to be an entry to it. There, I was going to hang out in the pain a bit and then there was going to be an exit. It was not going to be the constant. Um, so reframing the pain, giving it a new meaning it, because it is a perceptual thing. And by, by that, I mean being a perceptual thing, like, again, the more you focus on that pain, the more it's going to be there. So giving my conscious mind something else to focus on. So I might start singing or talking to other people, all that type, type of stuff. So don't surrender to the pain. Deploying distraction was a good one. So music's a good one for this. And David suggested rhythmic music, which I thought was really interesting. I thought most music was rhythmic, but he suggested, you know, like Aboriginal music, um, Scottish bagpipes and drums, um, some Maori music, waiata that has beats, has like a heartbeat. And that was incredible. Like, I don't, I think it's youthy yindi. Um, and literally I had a conversation with David, and he was trying to tell me what the song was. And he's like, You know, the one, mate, like, you just put it on. It's like, and I was just wetting myself. So I was like, Right. So I'm on Spotify, ripped that in there, and even a bit of the old Scotland the Brave and um, Loch Lomond and some of these really powerful bagpipes and drums music was was really, really good. So um, deploying distraction was a great, um, great reframe, especially when I was hurting. So it kept the feet moving, gave me a heartbeat to follow. It was actually quite incredible. So ladies and gentlemen, I, I feel like I've probably stretched this one out a bit too much. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you were able to take some notes uh, and get a few tips for yourself. Uh, it's months and months of work that has gone into forging and sharpening the sword and the hottest flame as it comes to the psychological approach. I hope this helps you. The next podcast is the final part in this three-part series of the Locus of Control. And the final part is going big. Like, how the hell do you go big? How do you make a realistic goal 
unrealistic and blow it right up because this is the stuff that puts you know massive butterflies like albatross sized butterflies in your tummy when you think about these goals these are the ones that gives you goosebumps that puts the fear puts the dark night of the soul in your mind it makes you so afraid so startled so frightened of these goals because they're just fucking enormous so how do you do that do you want to do that and here's my framework for doing it so come and join me on part three of the locus of control how, how to go big how to make a challenge an actual challenge and hope you enjoyed today all the power to you all the love to you have a great day have a great night have a great life and i will talk to you soon the pure jamie milne podcast, podcast.